The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. Nigeria's President, Olishegun Obasanjo, has set an ambitious goal. He wants the country to become one of the world's top 20 economies during the next two decades. In order to hit that target by 2020, Nigeria will need to increasingly globalize education in two key areas, information and communications technology and entrepreneurship. In fact, President Obasanjo has mandated that all university students in Nigeria, regardless of their major, will need to study entrepreneurship. That is one of the factors that has brought Peter Bamkole, General Manager of Enterprise Development Services at Lagos Business School, to Wharton. He and a colleague, Olayinka David West, a lecturer in information systems at Lagos Business School, have spent the past couple of weeks with the Wharton Small Business Development Center, exploring how to set up an entrepreneurship program in, in Nigeria. Peter Bamkole, who often goes by the more inf- informal Banky, spoke with Knowledge at Wharton about the challenges that entrepreneurs face in Nigeria. Banky, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Michael, for having me. The Nigerian economy historically has depended significantly on oil revenues. Uh, As the country tries to diversify away from dependence on oil, how important is entrepreneurship, do you think, to the future of the Nigerian economy? Well, entrepreneurship, it's it's a must now, uh, judging by the figures that are coming out of the uh, education ministry. In the last few years, uh, at least 60% of the graduates are not able to get employment immediately. So because of that, people go into one entrepreneur venture or the other. But unfortunately, they have not been adequately prepared to face the challenges of venturing. Now it has become necessary for us to put that into the curriculum in developing these uh, graduates. So I think that's probably uh, informed the decision uh, by the Nigerian University Commission to introduce uh, entrepreneurial uh, development programs in our universities. What are some of the areas these students could go into? Uh, What fields of entrepreneurship? What industries? What projects? I think basically uh, it will be just to start, first of all, with the basic level uh, process of venturing. So without necessarily saying, like here, you will go into high tech or something, we're just looking at the basic, simple process, starting from opportunity recognition, uh, ideas generation, and then take it all through. And it could be anything. So that is the kind of thing we're looking at. So you would help them write a business plan, teach them how to, those kinds of skills, project costs? Even that maybe might be too... Uh, high at the beginning. Uh, in my center, yes, we do that. We actually help people develop their business plans and all that. But right now, what we're saying is let people even begin to think about the process of entrepreneurship as a first step. Then after that, we can come to centers like mine and then we can take it to another level. Well, I wonder what some of the challenges are that you face in encouraging entrepreneurship 
uh, in Nigeria. Uh, let me just ask one specific example. Uh, you know, as in Nigeria, as in many other developing countries, uh, there has been a, a legacy of corruption. In fact, as you may remember, the World Bank some time ago had estimated that as a result of corruption, 80% of oil revenues uh, benefited only 1% of the population. Uh, do you see that as a big obstacle and how do you, how do you plan to tackle that? Well, you see, corruption, it's um, something that is relative and it exists in virtually all economies, not necessarily uh, developing economies or indeed Africa. Although, based on the structures you have in the more advanced countries, they are able to control or to curb these type of uh, practices. Um, I can tell you that in the last few years in Nigeria, the EFCC, which is the uh, Economic uh, Crime and Financial uh, Institution set up by the government, has been able to actually deal largely with corruption in Nigeria. They have made quite a substantial amount of um, investigation and arrest and recovery. Um, I, I don't know offhand, you know, but we'll be talking of something like five five billion dollars recovery. You know, uh, some of even money looted outside the country coming back. But that is not the real uh, constraint that, that you know, retard entrepreneurship in Nigeria uh, based on, on the research that I did about two or three years ago. I called it the misfit factor. It's actually a six-prone uh, factors that tends to weigh down the, the entrepreneurs. The first one, M, starts for markets. Majority of our people don't have access to market. And in order for them to have access to market, they have to understand the requirements of the market. So this is one area where we are lacking. And we need, like for instance, if you want to have access to the U.S. market, you must know of the regulations, what it takes, and all those things until we are able to create that very well and let people understand it and produce to be able to meet the needs of the market, then we will not be able to move forward. A major one, again, is infrastructure. And this, okay, it, it's basically in all developing countries, but more so in Nigeria. 30% of our not being competitive is based on infrastructure. Power, just power. Public supply power. And interestingly enough, that has been a study which the World Bank has carried out consistently in the last 10 years or so. So if you are able to remove power alone as a bottleneck, Nigeria will at least gain 30% competitiveness in production. Let's take four years ago, we had a similar problem in the telecoms. And in Nigeria, we had uh, not more than 400 lines uh, phone lines uh, about four or five years ago, out of which I'm sure not more than 300,000 was working. But in four years, based on the uh, reform agenda of the government, and for me, two things are driving entrepreneurship in Nigeria, uh, reforms and regulation, and we will come to that. But from the reform, because they liberalize um, these sectors that had up till then been controlled by government, then there's more transparency in it, and entrepreneurs are able to venture into this sector that the, the government controlled up until then. Today we have 
maybe about 10 million lines, majority of which are either mobiles or fixed wireless. So we are able to cross the bridge of infrastructure and all that, even though they still rear their heads in different ways, uh, because you still need to power uh, the, the substations and all that, and power is still a problem, so we have to invest in generators and use diesels and all that. But largely, it has broken down a lot of barriers for us in transacting businesses across Nigeria. Uh, one of the biggest challenges for any entrepreneur is access to capital. So um, once you've gotten to the point where Nigerians, youth, middle-aged people, whomever, are, um, are actually seriously considering a, a venture, you know, it's viable, they have a business plan, they have done all the studies, how are they going to fund it? Okay. Um, actually, one of the uh, constraints, again, is F here, which is finance. So, <laughs> uh, and it's interesting that you mentioned that. But yes, capital is a major constraint in Nigeria. The government about five years ago tried to do something, and they've been having one form of intervention or the other in the last, let's say, 20 years. But the one that was done about five years ago was actually done by the bankers committee. So the bankers themselves came together and say, hey, we need to do something for the small businesses. So based on various meetings, maybe casual with the government and all that, they arrived at a conclusion whereby 10% of their profits will be set aside as equity investment in small businesses. And Everybody held that, and that was good. And the rate at which that was growing was incredible uh, because the banks were making huge profits, and it meant that 10% of it were growing at a very good rate. Unfortunately, the, the rate at which the money was being disbursed was lower, significantly lower than the rate at which money was being stuck up. So why was this happening? So many... Uh, excuses. Uh, first of all, the, you, you have to understand the mindset of the small businesses in Nigeria. Uh, they own their businesses and they like to control it themselves. Unlike what I have seen in the last six weeks that I've been here in, in Philadelphia, uh, most people wanting to start business will uh, look for a partner. You know, somebody, equity, it's like, let's share the risk together. Let's leverage on the knowledge of one another and things like that. But back in Nigeria, it's not the same. Um, I want to start it myself. I want to do it myself, at least up until a particular level that I know I have full control. Then maybe I can sell part of it. But for now, let me do all the sweating and let me do all the gains that come with that sweating. That's on one, on one side. The second side is that up until five, maybe not more than eight years ago, the financial services sector had been used to lending through debt, not equity. So the mindset, again, is different. And most lending has to go with collateral. So you default, they sell off your collateral. In this case, there is nothing to sell off which means they have to do their homework a lot more to know the right type of businesses to invest in, 
whether they are growing businesses or not. They need to know all that. And that is where they can get their reward. So that is also becoming is a challenge for them. So on both sides, there are real challenges. And that slowed down the, the investments in, in equity. But for us, as Enterprise Development Center, then we now have a responsibility to bridge these two. To say, hey, if we are not getting enough um, businesses to invest, we can help them to refine their value proposition so that it becomes more reasonable for you to invest in these people. And then, if it works, the two of you are happy, and we are happy because we have been able to make the two of you come together. So we do a lot of education. Uh, for the banks as well, it, it's also difficult for small businesses to have um, regular financial statements and things like that. It, it's a common practice. But we have to show them why it is important for them to have their own financial records. Not because they want to go to the bank and, and lend money, no. But even for them to know how their businesses are growing. So it is absolutely... And when we do that, we do it you know, with the mindset that we are not giving you money. So they trust us. Unlike if the bank is asking for it, they can just cook up books and just give them something. So we help them and show them why it is important to do it for us. That, that's really interesting, you, you, especially the involvement of the banks. What are some of the areas where you see entrepreneurs uh, uh, getting actively involved in, in, uh, in, in, in uh, building their companies? Uh, so what do you see as growth areas, for example, for entrepreneurs in Nigeria? Like I said before, there are two major areas that are driving growth for us in entrepreneurship. Reform is one of them and regulation is the other. Let me uh, start with reforms. The reform, which basically led to the liberalization of some of the major sectors, allowed entrepreneurs to enter certain sectors, which up until then they had no opportunity to enter. Telecoms was a major one. And um, we had basically, uh, first of all, with the, the South African companies started entering, but we had local entrepreneurs in Nigeria that also took up the challenge. Um, we had Globacom, which is a wholly Nigerian entrepreneur, uh, Mike Adenuga, that started that. And then they grew it into one of the big three uh, telecoms in Nigeria today. We also had um, the, the then uh, V-Mobile. Now it's been bought over by Celtel, which interestingly is, an, it is owned by a Sudanese entrepreneur. Uh, and now he operates in the whole of sub-Saharan Africa and also in, in the eastern part. Um, when he wanted to come on board, uh, he looked at where he had comparative advantage. It was only where the big boys refused to go, and that was in Africa. So, and then he set up there, you know, in Sudan, in Zimbabwe, in now I think they are in 15 countries, including Nigeria. And, and, and now f for us, it's Africans investing in Africa and, and then, you know, creating that wealth within the continent. That, that is good. So, and that is what telecoms brought to Nigeria. But that is at the higher level. If you now look at the value chain of the telecoms industry, that is awesome. You see right down to the level of the, what we call the telephone lady, 
who ordinarily would have maybe been begging for you know money to eat and all that, with an umbrella because there's a lot of sun, uh, a telephone, two or three handsets. Immediately she's in business, and then from calls she can end income to feed and to support her family. In addition to that, we have fallouts like young bright boys who now repairs handsets. And we have a lot of them. So there are so many things that came with just that deregulation in that industry. Now, the same can be said of the financial services sector, where we've had major uh, you know, reform in, you know, in, the, in the sector, consolidation. Now we have quite a number of Nigerians you know, with increased knowledge in that sector. In fact, uh, as at uh, the beginning of this year, when our reserve now increased significantly, you know, we, we were highly indebted before, and then through a lot of engineering and financial engineering, and the, of course the lock of um, the oil prices, we're able to pay out the debts, and we've built the reserve to about $46 billion. Now, the issue of managing the reserves now came up. And then we're saying these uh, banks, local banks in Nigeria, can manage it, but they have to also work with the international financial services across the globe, the best. So they can learn from them, and then we can upgrade also their skills. That was what reform brought into Nigeria. By way of regulation, I will just pick maybe one. Uh, Sometimes when regulation comes, it comes hard and we feel the pain a, little, a lot more. Uh, but if we sit back, it might actually be to our own interest in the long run. Uh, 2003, the federal government banned the importation of fruit juices into Nigeria. Now, fruit juice, as of 2002, uh, was a 600 maybe $700 million uh, market in Nigeria. And one of my uh, small business customer uh, was also in that business. And 70% of his income was actually from the importation and sale of fruit juices. Ten years prior to that, he had developed um, a nationwide uh, distribution chain that was very strong and he could move products very quickly through that. Now, with the ban, that poses a dilemma for him because all of a sudden, his livelihood was wiped out just by one act of government. But then he had a choice. As at that time equally, the local production of fruit juice was just 15%. The remaining 85% were imported. And then the government created invest, uh, incentives for local manufacturers and whosoever that wants to go into local manufacturing to be able to develop local production of fruit juices. After all, we have oranges, we have apples. Why should you import all these things? So now we've gone through a period of three years, and within that three years, local production has actually, well, they don't import anymore, but in terms of volume, uh, we've actually met all that through local production. Um, the two local companies 
that were doing 15% up until then had stepped up and they're doing nothing less than 40%. Then we had new and bigger entrepreneurs enter that particular segment and they are producing more. And the little guys like the one I was talking about has also been able within his own segment, we've been able to transform him from what I call a trader into a local manufacturer. It's been a very rough road. In fact, it was very tough for him. At a point, he almost just gave up everything. But because he had us, and we were mentoring him, we were helping him, we were managing him, we were begging him, we were praying for him, you know, he was able to weather the storm. And in fact, that's one of the case studies which we have written uh, which is now being published by the ECCH. It's a very, very interesting case study because it, it brings out all the elements of what entrepreneurs in Nigeria go through, from government intervention to opportunity recognition to why you must be, you know, tenacious. That's such an interesting story, but I have one other question about a growth area in Nigeria. What exactly is Nollywood? Ah, okay. <laughs> no, I was just learned that word today from now, you. <laughs> you know, in the last also maybe five, six years, um, this is an industry that has been growing significantly in Nigeria. Uh, it's named after Nollywood, I mean, after Hollywood and Bollywood. Uh, so I understand that Nigeria's Nollywood is now the third fastest growing uh, entertainment industry in the world. Um, it's, it's actually very interesting that what we used to commonize is now becoming a major area of focus for us. So much so that uh, early this year, uh, actually at the Lagos Business School, we organized a one-week program for those in the industry. And by next year, we're actually going to get a lot more involved uh, in the area of scripting, uh, maybe not production, but content making. So scripting is, is an area that we want to be part. Because um, it's a way of um, telling the whole world about who you are and shaping the mind of people. So we see it as a tool, just like the government, too, I believe, is seeing it as a tool. Um, it, it, the image of Nigerians can actually be managed through this type of thing. And um, if you go to... Um, UK, you everywhere, you will see, uh, maybe most of them are pirated for now. But the fact is, that demand is there. You can see it, you can feel it. Now, I believe the demand has largely been driven by the Nigerians in diaspora, followed by the Africans in diaspora. Uh, about two years ago, maybe three, there is now a DSTV channel, a cable channel, that is actually dedicated to African movies. And I can tell you about maybe 60, 70% of it comes from Nigeria. Uh, well, I think maybe wrap this up with one question. Um, what has been your experience here at Wharton? And what, what uh, information, knowledge, whatever, will you take back with you to Nigeria? When we look back at um, Sojourn here, we like to refer to it as an academic retreat because it has given us the opportunity to sit back and reflect in what I call a fast-moving uh, train that we've gotten ourselves into about three years ago. Entrepreneurship, 
uh, development or something new in Nigeria, but very common in the Western countries. And when we went around about two years ago, we went to the major uh, universities with enterprise centers, and Wharton was one of them. We went to Babson, we went to uh, MIT, we went to London Business School, we went to Switzerland, we went all over the place. And coming out of that, we felt, and maybe this is a plus to Wharton, that the model that exists in Wharton is what we want to choose. And that was what informed our coming back here for six weeks to study more in detail how they operate and how they connect with the business community. A lot of, for me, the major thing that I see uh, going across the, the campus is the fact that what is being taught in class is brought down to reality in the lives of the students and what they do. And that's where you see students being consultants at the SBDC, for instance. And they're able to connect their management 230 with what is happening in a small business. And they can recognize quickly that this guy, the way he's going, is going to have cash flow problems. And cash flow is no longer a theoretical paperwork in class anymore, but he can actually see the implication in the life of a small business person that you know, they're they are, they are working with. So that, for me, was something major. Secondly, you can see the way uh, they're very careful about documenting uh, processes and outcomes. I think the outcomes one is largely due to uh, SBA requirements, which we don't have. But beyond the SBA requirement, uh, the fact that you are able to document your processes helps you to consistently control the outcome. That is one learning point that I'm taking away uh, from here. Because we've been largely entrepreneurial in what we've done, and we now need to start, you know, documenting some of the processes which we have. We've also used the opportunity to rewrite our own strategic plan. Um, and going forward from here, there is another um, challenge that, or a burden that we carry. Uh, we need to take entrepreneurship to Africa, not just Nigeria but to Africa. Because we have been working with the World Bank and our model now is sustainable. We don't get grants from government. We don't get grants from anywhere. So it's basically fee for service that we do and our relationship with the business community that keeps us going. So we want to now replicate this across some selected African countries and let them also see how entrepreneurship can develop uh, not just Nigeria, but also Africa. And that hopefully uh, will be accomplished by an African casebook. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's fascinating listening to you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Mm-hmm.